All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. That's right. We're doing football. It's been we've Matt, we let basketball take the center stage for a little bit. We took uh, some time off just for here and there to sort of watch the March Madness if you're doing it. But we're back to talk some football. Spring is here. Is your bracket crushed in our bracket challenge we're doing? I don't know. No, it is not. What? No. No. What's what's the score? Because we're recording on, on March 30th, Tuesday night. What's the score of the UCLA-Michigan game right now? Do you know? Yes, I pulled up right now. Currently, as this will be obviously dated, 13 minutes and two seconds left in the second half. Number 11 seeded UCLA is winning 34-31 over Michigan. So, so if, if Michigan wins... I will have successfully predicted all four Final Four teams. I think I am as well. I'm walking into mine as we speak. Which I have never done before in my life, and I don't think I've ever come close to it. Everybody has Gonzaga. It's like, okay, that's easy. They had no issue. They crushed it today. Let me just pull up the bracket now. There's like 30-something people in our bracket. Let's take a quick look. Uh, Our buddy Jason Williams is at the top, who does UNLV stuff for us. You're number four, Matt. With um, Far better than I would have expected. Potential point total, you have 70, the top is 74. I have to scroll to find mine. I can only get 64 points remaining. I have 61 right now. But mine, and not that people care about a bracket, but I think I'll have all four as well if uh, good old – no, I pick – oh, jeez, never mind. This I have apparently more than one bracket, which I didn't realize. You know, you fill out a couple. It has to be the same one, but you forget. Um, in this particular one, I got Zaga Baylor and the title game, but I picked Houston – I don't know, Houston's in it. No, Illinois. I had Illinois and freaking Alabama, so never mind. Kudos uh, to you. <laughs> yeah, I also promised I'd give my wife a shout-out because uh, if you at? recall our, our – no, if you recall our March Pladness Oh, how's that going? Podcast. So that wrapped up actually today. That's right. I remember the tweet said zero. And, and Local H ended up winning the title. <laughs> 16 seed versus 16 seed. That's right. <laughs> But I, I, I wanted I, t- I promised my wife I'd give her a shout out on the podcast because she successfully predicted it. I think she might have been the only one who submitted a bracket to pick Local H to win it all. Was Local H a song you, me, and Brandon were wondering about if it should be? Is yeah, it, it, was the one one of the, it was one of the very first things we mentioned in the podcast. Was it the one that severely underseated? That one up against the corduroy song, right? Yes, it was. Hey, I, hey, I. Well, I'm not gonna take her thunder, but I kind of call it too. I'm like, if, if I thought the winner of that matchup would go very far to the title, yeah. And we were all eventually right, saying that song should be way higher. People at the time listening should have listened to it harder, so it wouldn't be. So, however many years later, would it be a low seed? <laughs> exactly. Sam, so March blindness. So I know there are a few people who are not a fond of us on Twitter retweeting it. For that, it's over. And also, who cares? We're having fun, right? Yes. It's something different during the lesser of uh, not those sports. I mean, the, I mean, the Mountain West went two and out in the in the March Madness yeah. tournament. We had to we had to do something to pass the time. We did. And there's only so much Rams coverage we want to talk about, which is awesome for the NIT run. But correct, it's fun. We mix it up. Hey, it's not talking stupid politics or something. It's just dumb music and fun music, right? And and thankfully now, as a as a as I segue gracefully. Oh, yeah. To our topics. Now there's actually football stuff happening that's worth talking about. Also, we should note our website's mwr.com. Yes. Check that out too. <laughs> Three <laughs> minutes in, let's get to the website. <laughs> Three and a half minutes. But yeah, that's where you can find all of our stuff. Download, listen to our show, follow, subscribe, and all that great stuff. You know what to do. Um, also, one more quick thing. Did you see the tweet about um, on-demand live audio from NBC News? That's just radio. Yeah, and I know that's the point I was making. 
it was like the tweet was so long and winded. I'll read it because it's hilarious. Every response is amazing. The social audio play also means Spotify podcasters like Joe Rogan, gag, Bill Simmons, who cares? Consume broadcast in real time rather than on delay, while musicians might one day be able to broadcast their concerts or other recordings to live listeners. Um, I work in radio. That's radio except for the concert part. So I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it was just hilarious. <laughs> We're not radio at the moment. We're on demand listening. But I saw that and I'm like, what are they doing? And I like the first tweet. You, I assume you watch Silicon Valley? Yeah. So Jim Weber, if you don't know him, he did Lost Letterman. I forget the guy's name on Silicon Valley, but it's just like the douche guy who was like a billionaire. Russ Brenneman. Russ Brenneman. He did a great job. It's amazing. He just puts a tweet out there. He's like, radio on internet with his arms crossed over or spread out over one of his fancy cars. That was like yeah. the best. By I saw that, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, we're on Spotify, so go listen there if you want. But I just saw that. I'm like, uh, I'm like no, it's radio. It's com- It's music. It's whatever. But football. Let's get back to the real thing. Quarter- we're going to talk about quarterbacks today a little bit. But also, I put a tweet out for kind of questions, comments, maybe concerns if your team wasn't good. How good can your team really be, not just this year, but in general? Like, where should they typically be expectations? And last year, kind of throw it out a little bit because San Jose State did great. Is it a trend? Is it just a fluke? We'll see. But let's get some quarterback stuff that we want to get to. What do you think the most interesting quarterback thing is we have? We have Aztecs, Matt. We have Lobos getting a chance for a new NLV looking for some sort of guy. What? race out of those three or those quarterback situations intrigues you the most? I mean, I guess it depends on your perspective. I think to me right now, the most interesting one is what's happening at San Diego state. And I say that mostly because of where they are relative to the other two teams that you just mentioned. Like, I think there's every expectation that, you know, despite the losses that, you know, the, the Aztecs have had, you know, with, you know, a lot of the members of the secondary moving on to the NFL you know, the, the natural kind of ins and outs of graduation and transfer portal type business. But, you know, they're they're coming into spring football with three guys who, you know, while, you know, they, they've, they've shown some promise in real short stints, we don't really know enough about them to, to know if any one of those guys is going to be the guy. And so I think that, to me... You know, seeing who's going to emerge from that trio of Lucas Johnson, Jordan Brookshire, and, and the transfer Jalen Maiden, who came in from Mississippi State, is is going to be really fascinating because at a glance, it seems like you know all three of those guys can offer a little a little something like a little more mobility than you would tend to think of when you think of you know the Aztecs on offense in particular. Because in recent years, you know they they had guys like you know Quinn Kaler. Um, you know, Christian Chapman, Malik Smith, you know, those types of guys who were, you know, definitely solid caretakers, but not necessarily the kind of playmaker that other other teams in the Mountain West have you know, had on occasion or in some cases more consistently year in and year out. But you saw that at least with 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 Johnson and, and Brookshire in particular uh, in the Nevada game early on and in the BYU game, I would say that you saw the potential there, I think, with both of those guys and Maiden's sort of the wild card because we don't really know what he brings to the table just yet. But I think, you know, for them relative to New Mexico and UNLV, San Diego State identifying the guy making the right decision at that position is going to be it's going to be really important for them because like we know what they can do. 
but we still don't know what they can do if they have a quarterback. Because you know, more often than not, over the last couple of years, you know that that play, that element of the game has been really erratic. I've said forever. I mean, since Ryan Lindley left, since I've been doing this with you and Chris and whoever else, give me a decent quarterback. Aztecs would run to the conference at will, essentially. And Lucas Johnson kind of proved that in the first half versus Nevada. Mm-hmm. Like he, without the hamstring, he. That's the reason there's a couple fluky things and they for Nevada. So like Nevada's held the field goals. There's the fumble, I believe, in the end zone that was recovered, I think, by Nevada, if I recall. A couple fluky things that could have made a big difference. But like if they have a good QB, like even above average, this team honestly, I don't running games there, defense is always good. They would be really, really good to be they already are really good at top of the conference. They would be Instead of, oh, maybe we're going to be a top 25 team to actually being expecting to be a top 20 team once the AP and coaches will figure out these G5 teams are actually really good. Yeah. When they beat up on UCLA or some random Pac-12 school, Arizona State, or they're okay, but Arizona, those type of teams, Oregon State. But if they have that type of guy, like what he was doing, because I remember this last year, what Greg Bill did healthy against the Hawaii defense, that was pretty good at times. Like what they did versus the Nevada game where they adjusted their scheme, they had good players. He rushed over them at will and they couldn't do anything. You have him at full strength. You have any a running back QB, like what Johnson did. I think I would want to lean toward him just because what I saw. But you're right, like with the transfer coming, he came over from Mississippi State. He wasn't a good fit with what Mike Leach is doing there. He's a dual threat guy. And he moved on because I was reading some Q&A where – when he was the backup, it wasn't really sure thing he's going to go in, even when they were thinking about it. But the other guy, like I guess they're co-backups, essentially, is what I'm gathering mm. from here. One guy got the call when it's his turn. The other guy, it were Jaden's like, well, made or made, excuse me, made it. Sorry, Jalen made it. I combined it there. But Coach Leach or whoever the offensive coach was, like, well, we'll see if we'll put you in there. And so that's kind of why he left. And if he's a dual-threat guy, it, it's not a scheme I don't think would work for Mississippi State, which is going to throw a ton. But having him come to San Diego State where – because they think of it too, Dan Mullen was there before years before as well. I don't know if he's recruited by him. But what they what he's ran when he's at Florida now, what he did at Utah as a quarterback's coach, OC at different places around the country, he is – that system, it's it's clear not what the Essex do. But you got to throw in that system. But you could be a traditional QB. But what they did with Johnson, being able to have him be running the ball, play action, RPO type stuff – he could fit in as well, but it's just too soon to tell how good he's going to be because we don't really know. That's the thing. But I would lead Johnson right now, but it's going to be a battle. And odds are what's going to happen by the end of the spring. It's going to go down to two guys, and then they'll battle out and fall. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I think they're going to take as much time as they need to make that decision. But again, you know, considering the expectations are higher in San Diego than they are in, in Vegas or in Albuquerque, you know, having that time and and having i think more importantly you know this is something that is true of every situation across the mountain west you know having a sense of normalcy you know relative to how everyone had to approach things this time last year is going to be a huge step in the right direction for everybody involved too you know just being able to i mean and obviously we're still wrestling with the pandemic you know nevada for instance we didn't mention here they i believe started their spring practice today after having had it to delay it for a week because of a COVID outbreak. It's not so just it's that not, they weren't allowing close contact sports like yeah. hockey and other stuff. They finally, in basketball, they finally said, okay, you could do it. So that was, I think that may have had a small part to do with it as well. 
Yeah. So so while we're not necessarily out of the woods yet, I think that there are enough safeguards, enough precautions in place. And I think, you know, especially for something like a football team, there's enough methodology in place where, you know, for a team like San Diego State, who, so far as I can remember, they didn't have any COVID issues last year. Neither did um, Nevada, I don't think either. Yeah. So I think that, you know, you know having been through the experience and, and, you know, being able to give, go into 2021 with a sense of, you know, regularity is going to be a big deal for them as well. Yeah, it will be for everybody because right now the NFL, Roger Goodell said today, I want full, like, expects that full stadium, which maybe by September, we'll see, possibly. It's not the Texas Rangers who are saying next week, let's go 45,000. Like, oh, man. Yeah. Slow, slow your roll a little bit, <laughs> Texas. Like, come on. Like, do what the Dodgers or whatever are doing is like 10% here, or like the Utah Jazz here. For me, they started with like 3,000. They've been gra- slowly, gradually building up. They're still only at 5,500. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather do a slow build than boom and go big. And football gives us the time, luxury of time for the summer. And yeah, just summer, a little bit of fall to get going. Because that'll help too. Like if you're going out in the game, like there's guys who thrive on competition. Like if you're out there, like it was last year where there's empty stadiums. You should be able to perform, perform fine, but some guys kind of like, hey, this will give them a little bump or you know I mean? some little extra mm-hmm. little kick in their butts. Like, all right, let's get going. This is real. Uh, so what about UNLV? They have a trio of guys who Justin Rogers from TCU played okay last year. Doug Brumfield and freshman Cameron Friel. Um, Rogers or Brumfield didn't play a ton, only combined for 43 pass attempts. Yeah. It's uh, basically a brand new guy. When Rodgers played a little bit, he did. He seemed to be a guy ahead of everybody else, but then he got hurt and did not play after that first little bit, that initial injury. Yeah, I mean, you could see why he was a four-star guy, you know, in the limited amount of playing time that you that that you, know, you saw him on the field. You know, with a guy like Brumfeld, he was obviously a lot rougher around the edges than than Rodgers or or Max Gilliam, who ended up starting the majority of the year. You know, he he graduated, he moved on. Um, but you, you know, I think you know, Brumfield's size was always interesting to me. Just the fact that he was mobile, he could withstand a couple hits, um, and even if he, even if you know his play under center left a lot to be desired by the raw numbers, like you could see that the raw tools were there, um, and maybe he just needed, maybe you know, with the benefit of a, a more normal spring. And, you know, familiarity with players around him who also were kind of thrust into that offense under fire that you could see where he could make a move if if Rodgers is nicked up or isn't able to really seize the inside track on the starting job. And then with a guy like Friel, who's a true freshman coming into the system for a new time, you know, you, you look at him and you think that he is kind of the, one of the more hotly anticipated products of the recruiting effort that Marcus Royal has been able to put forth in his short time as head coach. And so. I think with that situation, the Rebels are really looking for a steady hand. I think for, for Arroyo and the rest of that coaching staff, it's more about just avoiding the carousel that really kind of sets everything else back. Because I think that was something they fell into most weeks throughout the season where, you know, if Jillian was ineffective, then they turned to Rogers. And then if, if Rogers, you know, looked sharp for mm-hmm. a couple of drives and then got nicked up. You know, then they had to dig really deep into their roster and, and turn to turn to a guy like Brumfeld who wasn't who may not have necessarily been all the way prepared for the responsibility. And so I think I would imagine under ideal circumstances they want Rogers to kind of establish himself and be the guy 
But I think like like we just talked about with the Aztecs, they'll take as much time as they need in order to make that decision because I think maybe relative to the Aztecs and to the Lobos, they have the the benefit of perhaps lower expectations. Like they, they have the time to figure this out and they know that 2021 probably, by and large, is going to be a work in progress. And so it's not necessarily about finding the guy who's going to help you take the quantum leap. It's about the guy who's going to give you some stability at the most important position on the field. It's true. And they also open up with Eastern Washington, who's a pretty good FCS team, but still an FCS school. Yeah. One thing that's noted here, like you mentioned, like going through learning that they got thrown in there, couldn't play, you're injured, you're playing. Like Grand Receiver, oh, I had his name right here. Shoot. Uh, Kyle Williams. Kyle Williams. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was reading through here some stuff you mentioned the other day. These guys, he's showing that since last year, these guys, um, they're basically they're just a ton more confident in what they're doing. Which, mm-hmm. if you're not playing and you're actually – because it sucks if you're injured, where you don't want to do anything. You're like, oh, I don't want to be on the meetings. I don't want to do this. But if they study and do it, which seems like the case with um, the other quarterbacks. At least they've been preparing, whether you're injured or not, going forward. He feels a lot more confident in those guys, which is good. And it gives them time to have kind of a normal spring, it seems like, that he feels confident. And, again, it's going against your team. And your team in general, UNLV, we know it's not great. Because this really is year one for Royal. Because last year was just it's so difficult. This is kind of going to be, hopefully, a closer to normal deal. And that's what even offensive linemen like Khalil Garcia said. Everybody's hanging out. It's like it's not even like we don't have COVID. We're getting tests all the time, but we're just here to practice, learn the playbook, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And so maybe one good thing about this, because they've already been through the fall for all these schools in the Mountain West. And for a team like UNLV, they know the protocols. They I don't remember what UNLV missed games, if it was their issue or not. But they've been around. They know, they basically know the gist of what they're doing. It's been perfected even more because back in the fall, it was still not terribly new, but new for the type of sport, to how to protect yeah. and help people out. But if everybody's getting tested, oh, they know they can do this. They're still hanging out like it's just football. And then people aren't really on campus as much. I don't know what UNLV status is for going to in classes. And so I'm pretty sure Nevada is still fairly strict with the sports stuff we just mentioned for mm-hmm. Nevada or high school stuff finally getting – close contact sports it's just them so maybe that camaraderie they could hang out together they more than even normal and that could be a bonding thing and hopefully lead them there but i, I agree with you. i think it should be rogers is probably leaning to be the starter from what he showed this year yeah, I, would, if, I would imagine if, if they had their way rogers would probably be the guy leading the way and for real probably just redshirt or be the backup we'll see what brumfield does but he was just yeah it's okay but they're own six so that's all we got there so new mexico let's get to them quickly lobos mm-hmm. Our buddy Roger Holing was down at practice, did a piece about, hey, Coach Gonzalez wants to do quarterback. And he's like, I'll look for a grad transfer, a Juco guy. Well, they had a pretty good guy, Terry Wilson from Kentucky, who Mm -hmm. Kentucky's not very good at football typically. He was 17 and 8 as a starter going the past three years, which included, wasn't it in 2019, they're actually ranked or really pretty good for their typical, not even just good for Kentucky, but actually a good football team, if I'm correct. That's right. Yeah, they yeah they were, I remember they were pretty good. They had a few upsets. So he had a three thousand yard passer, thousand yard rusher type guy. However, he's had a knee injury, which is an issue. Yeah, he had the wins at Florida, and Tennessee, and Louisville. So those are pretty good wins. Plus beating Penn State in a bowl game, and mm-hmm. so and I guess NC State a couple bowl games here. So he's a guy where he's produced out of okay, whatever you want to say about Kentucky, it's not great, but you're going up against amazingly good teams in the SEC. Yeah, you're talking about the SEC. Yeah, it's like. Even if your team's not good, you're probably still – well, no, you are. Like I said, Florida, Tennessee, all these teams that are pretty good. You're mm-hmm. playing against the best. And so, yeah, it was 28 – no, so it was 2018 where they went 10-3. and three. 
So it was a couple years ago. And so he's a guy that's good, but he had a nasty, nasty injury where a legal horse collar tackle hook got him in a torn patellar tendon. Ouch. So it kind of delayed the season. Then 2020, we know how that went. Not very well for most people. And he's a guy where this is what New Mexico needs. If he, he runs well, because what, Danny Gonzalez is going to do. We see what Tabaki Toyota has done, what they did with the guys, the final game versus Fresno State, the true freshman fifth string quarterback. Mm-hmm. It must mean they not believe like in Trey Hall either to be the quarterback. I'm assuming Wilson has to be like number one guy going in the fall, right? I mean, I think he's going to definitely step in and compete right away considering, you know, going to Albuquerque, he's only got one year of eligibility left. He, he decided mm-hmm. to take advantage of that extra year that everybody's getting. And I think to your point, you know, it was pointed out in the in the Courier Journal that he's the first player in Kentucky history with at least 3,000 passing yards and 1,000 rushing yards in his career. So, you know, he's a guy who pretty clearly has a track record of at least being able to do a little bit of damage with both his legs and his arm. Uh, you know, averaging four yards per carry may not seem like much, but I don't know how that accounts for, for sacks or anything like that. But, you know, he has 10 rushing touchdowns for his career. He has a completion rate of 65%, which I think is, you know, considering recent Lobo history as far as throwing the football, <laughs> definitely a step in the right direction. I think one thing that he'll definitely have to prove, though, is, you know, that he can generate the big play because, you know, that was one thing that, you know, for all the faults that, you know, Lo- the Lobo's passing him has had in recent years, they all, you know, it was if, if, if it was 50-50, they still had a very explosive element to their game. And one thing that I noticed in looking over his track record is that in his first year in uh, in 2018, you know, he averaged seven yards per play, which is pretty solid, or seven yards per pass, excuse me. Uh, and then in his injury truncated 2019, it was 6.9. Last year, though, it was only 5.9. And so I think that's one thing that he and everybody else in that, you know, whoever's a part of that quarterback competition, whether it's him, Tuioti, Isaiah Chavez, or whomever else, you know, I think they're going to have to prove that they can, you know, find or, dis- or or really, you know, trigger that explosive element to the game. Because while New Mexico may not necessarily be stacked with, you know, all conference performers at wide receiver, they do have some interesting names there. And I think that if they find the right guy and rediscover that element of the game, you know, that's another thing that could make them more of a headache than a lot of other opposing defenses might expect. Sure. And the one thing that Coach Gonzalez kind of tipped his hand and that we saw what Lobos can do. They run a bit. They pass. They, they're not like a – it's not the Bob Davies stuff where it's mostly the run and they'll pass like two or six times in a game. Yeah. But but what Wilson said – or excuse me, what Gonzalez said is that um, – if I'm correcting here, where's my quote I was looking at here? That he – that halt, that the Wilson wanted to be, a quarter, be an offense that throws more than they pass. Mm-hmm. Um. And so here's what Gonzalez said. Like the last few games, we were 50-50 until we were 50-50 up until the last few games where they started to throw more. Yeah. So I assume they're going to be leaning toward like he could do both. Well, so obviously the 3K, 1K brushing to passing. This is kind of tips in like, well, Lobos are going to be throw the ball a bit more than they have been, which is a good change of pace for them because they're it, it, again it's taking a little bit of time to move forward. I go I know last year was one year. Year two, the new offense, because they kind of tweaked it anyways to end of Bob Davies' tenure anyways, instead of from the, the what they run in the freaking uh, pistol, the four running backs in the backfield, mm-hmm. it seemed like, to a more slowly transgressed until a more pro-style type thing. So if they're going to throw the ball, 
this is a pretty good to do it because Tavaki Triotti is still out with the concussion protocol, not able to play. Yeah, Brant Hughes still with a shoulder injury, and so he's been has he's been cleared for limited throwing. So it's also a need because not that like Triotti's injury prone, but he has had his issues. And with Brant, like what is um the what's sorry what's a freshman Chavez Chavez yeah. like he's the true freshman. Like how much is he gonna play even though he won that last game of the year the fish ring QB. And well, so he's, not a, he's not even the only freshman. Like, we didn't even yeah. mention Connor Ganahl. I know. There's a lot. I know. There's or, or Trey Hall, who's yeah. had starting experience himself. And so I think what's interesting about the New Mexico situation relative to the two that we talked about is, you know, the plethora of options that, that Gonzalez and Derek Wareheim suddenly have in the quarterback room. Because you're talking about, you know, what, Tuyote has started in the past. Hall has started in the past. I think Hughes has right. made one or two starts, if I'm not mistaken. Significant playtime, at least. Yeah, Chavez started the last two games of the last year, obviously. Wow. Um, so, you're, I mean, you're talking about five or six guys all of a sudden who have at least seen the field a little bit. And so sorting that out is going to be a really kind of fun and interesting narrative, I, I would think, to follow as an outside observer. One last note. I love what Dana Gonzalez is saying. This is the very last quote in the Albuquerque Journal. He's like, I have had a conversation with the quarterbacks. I'm not worried about their feelings. They're big boys. They're good. They welcome the competition, which is what it should be, yeah. which is fair. And this honestly should be wide open because I don't know how they're going to narrow it down with like seven guys. Also, they mentioned incoming freshman. Nice name here. Bear, Bear Milosic. I believe that's yeah. correct. <laughs> that's a great that's that's an all conference name right there. <laughs> it's either Milosic or Milosic. I'm not sure. It's the, M- the CEK can go either way. Mm. But he's technically third on the depth chart right now. But also when you have half these guys injured. <laughs> Yeah. It's hard to tell. So I don't know how they're going to narrow it down or if guys will change positions, which could be a possibility. Because I'm counting here Chavez, Milicek, uh, Montez, Toyote, Hughes, Ganal, um, and Wilson. Is that my rise at seven QBs? Yeah. <laughs> so something like that. So something's got to give. And if I'm going to put money, I'd bet Wilson will be the starting quarterback by week one because he, he's still filling out the paperwork, going to expect to be in town by June. But. Oh, I guess Trey Hall didn't mention him was eight quarterbacks. I don't know. There's a lot of QBs here. But this is going to be an interesting one to watch because like, if Wilson comes in and can be a pretty good QB, we see what New Mexico has some talent around them. Nothing amazing, but they have guys who can catch the ball. They've had some decent running back success the past year or so. If he comes in and can show that they have the possibility to do something because they're a non-comfort schedule, Houston Baptist should be fine. New Mexico State's not any – juggernaut obviously they're mm-hmm. not going to beat texas a now but then they go to utep like not to get ahead of myself but even if what new mexico did last year and regardless whoever's quarterback three to one wouldn't be out of the option regardless of who's quarterback or not for this team mm-hmm. so and if it's wilson he has experience it'll be i i think it'll be him but i do like that gonzalez what the way gonzalez is doing right now yeah all right we've already went like 27 minutes this is the time to get to our main stuff i guess let's do it <laughs> All right, so here's what we're doing. We're going to talk like – I keep saying like all the time, Matt. I've realized that with Andy. I need to stop saying it because it's a million times. Yeah, we've, te- we've all got our verbal tics. I know, but when you notice it, it's even worse. I'm like, dang it, what are you doing? So we're going to get to like ceilings and floors, like the elevator typing. And this isn't just for this year. This is sort of a bigger picture. What should the typical expectation, expectations be for an Air Force, a Colorado State, or a Boise State? So we're going to go through these. Just It's fine and – Last year, again, we kind of throw it out a little bit. We'll talk about the Spartans and other teams who, what they can do. 
But let's just go alphabetic order. Makes the most sense. Okay. Because why not? If that's okay with you. Air Force is a particular interesting case because when you look at what Troy Calhoun has done for basically forever at Air Force, he is almost going to a bowl game every year. There was that one year where, where they go 2-10, and 10, I believe, a couple years ago. And that was in like 2013, I believe. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, they had the two back-to-back losing seasons. He turns down bigger programs like the NFL. He turned down Tennessee, a couple other jobs here in there. Colorado is like, no, Broncos, no. But this is a team where – and it might be – you've heard it if we talk about the show before. You've listened to us for a long time. Air Force is a team with what they do and what they run. Should always be winning at least like seven to eight games, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because they're so disciplined. The triple option or the run option tech, I should say, they may have a Jalen Robinette here and there who's a good wide receiver. They'll have rain a couple guys here that, who can chuck the ball down the field. They are ranked two years ago. Like being ranked, it might be their ceiling. I don't see like if I'm looking at best case scenario, I have a hard time ever. I don't say ever, but. I'd put it the single digit percentile of them competing for a New Year's Six game because the one downside, once it gets to week eight to twelve, these guys have their late weight restriction limits of how big they can be. Their schooling is much more demanding, which is not excuses, but a matter of fact of what how they prepare and what they can do. Mm. I just always feel like they should be eight wins and probably top three in the Mountain Division should be like their baseline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's easy. to. I can't remember if I've mentioned this on the podcast, if I wrote it or if I just thought it. But I think with this year's Air Force, or at least maybe the next couple of years, if we're thinking kind of in the, the medium term, uh, if not necessarily the long term, it's easy to forget this was a top 25 team mm-hmm. back in 2019. 22. And I think that when you think about the Falcons in their immediate future, I think the biggest question, which we still don't have a lot of clarity about, is exactly what's going to happen with all the turnbacks. Because I think, you know, mm-hmm. I think the presumption is that they'll all be back on the roster. But, you know, Troy Calhoun, of course, is, you know, tends to play his cards close to the vest. You know, when he talks about returning starters, he says that there was only three starters from last year's defense coming back this year. <laughs> and it's like, OK, well, you know, you've Come still on. got you know, you've still got DeMonte Meeks. You've you've still got Jordan Jackson, you've still got those types of guys who, you know, didn't play last year. I would presume that most, if not all of them will be back. And so it really comes down to a couple of key questions, in my opinion, which I'm sure I'll circle back to this when we get into team previews later in the summer, but a lot's going to depend on, on the development of Hazik Daniels, I think, because while he definitely had plenty of you know, strong moments in his first year under center, which I don't, I don't think anybody expected him to, to take up the mantle. Um, but of course, given the circumstances that surrounded Donald Hammond Jr., he was kind of thrust into the spotlight uh, maybe a year later than anybody would ex- would have expected. And so, yeah, he, you know, as a team, they completed 55% of their passes, you know, three, only three touchdowns though, against three interceptions. And, you know, after averaging nearly 13 yards in attempt in 2019, they fell off a little bit to 8.2. And so I think, you know, if they could take a step back in the right direction, you know, they may only need to get to like 2018 or 2017 levels. Like if they can get back to like nine, nine and a half yards per attempt. Yeah. That could be a very dangerous offense with everybody else that they have coming back. Cause if Tim Jackson is healthy if Brad Roberts is is you know ready to go at fullback, you know that's yeah. a one-two punch right there. That's going to take a lot of pressure off of him, and and open up that downfield game that 
you know, really makes the difference when when Air Force hits their peak in years like 2019. No, you're right. Like, that's what I think they need the QB. But also one thing they're replacing, like, if we're looking short next year, Nolan Rensburg, all these offensive linemen are got. Kader that's Rensburg, true. Or not Nolan Rensburg. Um, Loffenberg. Sorry, I, saw, I, was re- I was reading some of my buddy, our guy, Sean Rowe. I'm like, wait, I, see, I mixed up the two names, but, like, Nolan Loffenberg going to be drafted. Running backs are gone. But – he mentioned, like, I was chatting with him emails, like, I think it was, what, 20? Like, the turnbacks are about 20-plus. So th- when you look at SP+, plus, they're still pretty low coming into the year because when Bill C. does it, he's trying to plug and play, like, returning talent because technically their talent's not returning because they didn't play last year. And so mm-hmm. he'll also do, like, oh, transfer from – for example, Kentucky transfer Wilson coming to New Mexico. His numbers will transfer to Lobos, and it'll increase the returning production. But with Air Force, with your best players not playing, there, what do you happen to have their SP plus? Was it pretty low? I don't have it in front of me. Um, I think they were roughly. I mean, they were definitely in the middle of that pack where there was a bunch of Mountain West teams packed together. Um, but yeah, I think you know SP plus and, and other advanced metrics tend to have the blind spot of the service academies just because they approach things so differently. I think also it's also returning. Oh, my computer's being weird. Returning talent. Mm-hmm. And so their talent technically is not returning. So I'm trying to find it right here for my computer. So, yeah, it's a little bit deceptive. 93. So it's even more deceptive than normal because here's the thing. it's Here's what you're going to hear about the whole year about every team. Oh, we got all this talent back. Guess what? Everybody has talent coming back mm-hmm. who played. Air Force is different because they didn't play last year. Yeah, so, and I think you know if they struggle to replace people on the offensive line in particular where you know it's – you want to give them the benefit of the doubt because it is an offensive student system that does the same thing year in and year out. And they always seem to be able to plug people in and be just fine. But I mean, you're talking about a pair of all conference guys. I think if you look at the schedule that they've set up for themselves over the next couple of years, like, yeah, if everything breaks right, which it almost always has to, if you want to be a New Year's day six team, then the Broncos should definitely be in that conversation. You know, they've got the game against UCF this year, you know, they're at Oregon State home versus Michigan State next year. And I think, you know, it's to their credit that, you know, things haven't broken right. And especially last year where they, you know, everybody was already existing in a weird situation. And the Broncos also had to deal with being really injury plagued in a lot of key positions. And they still found a way to get to the conference championship anyway. So I think, you know, that's a that, of course, is a real a testament to their depth. Um, that they built up over the last couple, uh, over basically since forever. I was going to say the last couple of years, but they're number one in the conference year after year in that regard. And so I think it's sort of like an until further notice kind of thing that, you know, when you think of teams on the short list for that New Year's Day spot, you sort of have to put the Broncos on there, at least in pencil, until further notice. I think the trick is just making sure that they don't skip a beat from Brian Harson to Andy Avalos, which I don't think they will. But I mean, if there's any hiccups, that's, you know, you know, I think the worst case scenario is another year like 2013, where maybe they suffer some disappointing losses. Maybe they get a little bit unlucky, but they still end up like eight and five or something. Yeah, that's one thing, too. I guess we should get you a new head coach. That's a kind of an issue, not an issue, but kind of a thing to look at. We they've been fine when they brought in Brian Harris and went to the, the not Arizona Bowl, Fiesta Bowl the first year. He's been there before, been there with Chris Peterson. He's been around when the team has been really good. Uh, I think part of it, I want to see how good Hank Bachmar can be this year because he mm-hmm. didn't play last year, not because of injury like people are saying, but for COVID contact tracing. But the team itself, <clears throat> what we've seen, 
they could be a top 10 team. They could be a fringe team in the top five, getting close to BCS back in the day. Have they made that field goal? Who knows what would happen? But I, I, you're right with the pencil part because Cincinnati is getting really good. They open up at UCF, who's not as good as they were, but they're still a solid team, clearly. Memphis is good, but they have a new head coach now as well for the past year or so. I want to say they should be there, but I'm not going to guarantee and say, hey, that's where – I'll say that's where the ceiling is, but I'm not going to say that's where they should be. I My feelings has changed slightly to them where they've been really good, but it's also a credit to like the rest of the Mountain West who is catching up and being better than what they've been before. It's not – as easy it was in the WAC where they were beating teams 40 to 10 and not getting challenged at all and just rolling and being ranked high. Then they'd get maybe a good Nevada team occasionally. Fresno would try to jump up and get them, but they would could never get it done, but it'd be a decent challenge. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the out of three of the past five, six years, they haven't been ranked in last year. Four of the past seven, they haven't been ranked. If I'm uh, three, four, no, yeah, four of the past uh, one, two, yeah, four of the past eight, they haven't been ranked. They haven't finished top ten since their first year in the Mountain West in 2011, where they had that three-year stretch. So you see a sort of a decrease there, but I'm not going to say they can't do it, but they're moving in the wrong direction ever so slightly because we're not going to complain. They've won 12 games two years ago, 10, 11, 10, 9, 12. Eight five was like a garbage year for them. You know what I mean? When Chris Peterson took that job to go to Washington. And that's most teams would love that. So they're still averaging about 10, win, 10 wins a year. They're in the conference title game this past year. The past couple of years, they won it two years ago. They were back, was it three straight years in the conference title game? Four straight years, I think it is? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, they, yeah. Fresno twice. Because they, they, yeah, they won in 2019, right? Yeah, they beat Fresno, lost to Fresno, lost to San Jose. And then 11-3, 2017, they won the uh, Vegas Bowl. Yeah. So they're there. It's just, what does it take? And part of it could be, I could say Craig Thompson a little bit because he doesn't promote the league enough as he should. We all know that. It's not vocal like Mike Resco is the American. I don't know what else they do because when they were 12-2, and two, were they even really that close to getting there? A New Year's Six game? They were 14th at one point, which is in the mix. But it seems like they get there, but then they just kind of stumble at some point to get some team because the conference is getting better. Mm. So it, I don't know if it's necessarily them not what being as good. What a world we live in where you take him at a New Year's Day game and 10 wins <laughs> seems vaguely disappointing. Uh, I know, but you get my point. I'm trying we to. All, to we all got spoiled off the Chris Peterson years, man. I know. Four top 10 years in a row, or three top 10 years. But you get my point where. I do. The decline's not – it's not a big decline. The win total's still there, essentially, maybe a minute dip, but it's just the ranking portion of it. And also, it's kind of like when you're losing games, which is an unfortunate thing to say because that matters in college football. Mm. So what is yours? Is yours just new pencil, New Year's Six game? That should be their ceiling every year? I mean, until for, I mean, until they until something goes horribly wrong, then yeah, I think so. Even though they haven't been there in, what, seven seasons? Yeah, because they're 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 almost always in the conversation at one point or another throughout the season. Okay. Yeah, I'm just wondering. I yeah, I just it's because people come after us like, oh, you say they're terrible, they're too good. I'm like, they are a really good team. They're just not an elite team anymore. Because back when Peterson was there, they're top ten. They're talking. Are they going to get to the BCS? Are they going to get that Rose Bowl bid that's set up for them out in the West or a Group of Five? They are right there. They just haven't been. As super uber elite team, they're just now t- 
like if we're what we've seen the past couple of years, here's what they are. They're a team that's going to most likely compete for the conference title, which they've done and won a couple of times, and be a top 25 team. That's where they're at, and that's trending down from what they were five to ten years ago. Mm-hmm. People still love it, but that's where they're at. But I do think they their goal should be getting to a New York Six and win the conference every year. It's just I would like them to do it more. It's hard to say, hey, do it more often than not when they've won what when they've been to what three of them. No yes, pressure, but, right? Yeah, that's my point. It's like I get the expectations there. I just think if you don't get there, don't beat yourself up if you happen to play a nine and three Oregon team in the new LA Bowl. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just saying that's right. All right, we might make this a two parter because we're talking way too much. So I think let's do this. Let's continue and finish the Mountain Division, and we'll make another podcast out of this. Is that a good plan as yeah, we do it on the fly? Because it's taking a minute. So, hey, alphabetical order, still Colorado State, next team. Okay. Oh, boy. Um, how many Todd Santeo references do we need to make before I punch something? You know, what, what I'll say about – I mean, I'll acknowledge <laughs> that the, the Rams are, are definitely – one of the harder teams to figure out what their ceiling are because a lot is going to depend on how they answer their most pressing questions now. And, and there, I don't think there's any doubt that you and I are on the same page that quarterback is one of those pressing questions, but I can see a scenario where, you know, if they get things sorted out and they take a step forward this year, that if you, especially if you, if you look at their their schedule for like 2022 or 2023. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I could see a path where they could take a step forward and surprise people and be like a, a very solid, like eight, nine win team two years from now. Because I think, you know, if you look at the 2022 schedule in particular, like at Michigan is always going to be a rough go for anybody, I think in yeah. the conference, but you know, middle Tennessee at Washington state, Sacramento state, I, was, I think right now that's a pretty manageable non-conference schedule overall. And and, they're, and it doesn't really differ too much in 2023. Like they swap out Michigan for the Rocky Mountain Showdown at Colorado and then an FCS date with the at home against Dixie State. And so you can sort of see where maybe it seems kind of weird to say, but maybe they're kind of like a Wyoming type team in two or three years. Well, even this year, their non-conference schedule, South Dakota State, Vandy, Toledo, Iowa, that's not very difficult overall. Because I think, you know, they, they showed last year that they can go in and beat people up on defense, right? Mm-hmm. Especially up front. Like, we didn't really talk about it on this podcast, but, you know, there was an article recently, I believe it was Kelly Lyell of the Colorado one who talked about Colorado State's defensive line in particular. Guys like Scott Patchen and Manny Jones can be the guys to really be among the you know best units in the conference. And I think I would agree with that assessment. But those guys, I think those guys are only going to be around for one more year. And so, you know, as soon as you start resolving one question, you're going to have to start dealing with yeah. others <laughs> over the next couple of years, too. And so the timetable isn't necessarily as clean for the Rams as it might be for some teams who are already kind of at cruising altitude like Boise State or other teams like Air Force who have been there in more recent memory. But I could I could see it there, like if they especially if they resolve things on offense in particular. You know, I think that, you know, the, the situation is almost the reverse of what we would have thought it was a year ago at this time where, you know, the the the, the defense had made some progress here and there in some superficial ways. But, you know, how much of that was going to have staying power? 
Um, and now we look at them and we're like, okay, well now the defense looks like it's got a lot of playmakers, especially up front. How much is the offense going to pick up the slack? No, that's a good point because we I mentioned Todd Centennial, mention number two. <laughs> it's what he did if he's a starter or not, but the defense is going to lead the team this year. But you're right, like going forward next couple of years, we've seen with Steve Adazio what he's done at BC. He's man, brought over Heis, AJ Dillon, Heisman caliber running backs on their team, guys mm-hmm. who get drafted in the NFL. Um, it wasn't Dillon the Heisman finals, it was some other running back, but they produce multiple running backs, which great run the ball. They don't have. They finally, or at least at the moment, don't have an amazing wide receiver to come up because no Warren Jackson, no Rashard Higgins, no Michael Gallup on this roster. You're forgetting about Dante Wright so quickly? Oh, apologies. There we go. See, you caught me there. No, Dante Wright's there. He's a different type of guy, but he's going to be a key receiver. My apologies to the Wright family as well as Coach Adasso <laughs> there for, for skipping over him. I just – no, he, you're, he's there. But I, I do think that we'll see what the running back situation can be. But what we've seen from Adasio year after year, after year at BC, he's had pretty good teams. Like this team, it's when you look at the Rams, like back in the late '90s and early 2000s, they were as good as Utah, as as BYU. They're winning the conference. They're conference champs with oh, Sonny Lubick there. Steve Fairchild didn't do good at all. You know what? The Malcolm Wayne did good left, obviously. Bobo fizzled out. If they, he did, there was a stretch like that long ago, five straight bowl games for this team. Mm-hmm. In 2013 to 2017, I don't know if they're going to get back to what they were in the late 90s, where they're going to the Liberty Bowl, winning the Whack and Mountain West Conference, going to the Holiday Bowl three out of the four years back in the mid 90s. It's a team where it's in between there. Like, yeah, I, that's where I'm thinking. Like, there are, they're probably never. I don't say never. They're not going to be as consistently as good under Lubick, where they were top 25 during not post, but just kind of. Okay, I'm massaging the stats here, but seven straight years of being ranked in the top 25 at some point in the AP. Mm. That's pretty good. And in all those years, it only finished two in the AP post, but every year was a winning record, and they went to a bowl game every year but once. And one of those years was an eight and a four year when there are fewer bowl games. So Yeah, I mean, I think with Colorado State, and, and again, this is another thing I think we'll definitely get into with the team previews. Mm. It's definitely a, a different picture when you're considering only this year and then spreading it out to the next three years because they're getting so many guys back that are only going to be back for this one last go around in all three facets of the game. You know, you're, you, you've got, you know, Scott Patchen came back, Trey McBride came back, Ryan Stonehouse came back. All those guys were very big contributors for them last year. And so you could see the opportunity for them. Like if, if, if everything breaks right and they, they find all the answers that they need, that this is a team that could take a big step forward and, and pull a couple of upsets and maybe threaten for a division title. But then you still have to answer the question, okay, well, what happens after that? And all of those guys leave for 2022. And that is a lot harder to tell right now. No, that's the hard part about this exercise. Who's going to be good in a couple of years or what they should be. So yeah. what, what needs to be done is recruiting cycle. Here's the thing. Rain, what are the They've Rams done a good job of recruiting, I would say. I think yeah. the challenge for them has always been the development, the follow-through on that, because they've had some individual successes, you know, most notably with the wide receivers that have gone into the NFL. Shaq Barrett as well. But they need, they, I think they need a, they need more of that in the in the Adazio regime than they got under, under Mike Bobo. And Yeah, and also winning, too, because if they win this year, because we said they're good at – what are they good at right now? Receivers, tight end – 
Um, hopefully defense this year. But they've, traditional- got strong, they've got a strong defensive line. They've got mm-hmm. up-and-comers on the back end, too. So if you're good and perform well, and let's just say this isn't my official prediction by any stretch, but let's say they go nine and three. That'd be their best season since Malcolm left to go to Florida, where they were mm. ten and three, with won the conference, went to the Vegas Bowl and lost to Utah, I believe, by a good margin, if I recall, yep. watching that game. But let's say they go nine and three, and it's going to help recruiting. And 2022 could be a bit different because all those start big players go. But if they're recruiting, which has been pretty good, like you mentioned, their Bobo and Adaz has done a decent job. If he gets good players this upcoming cycle, it may take a year, a two years to get them acclimated them to be really good because you're a true freshman not going to come in and star. They mm-hmm. may be in the rotation. So it could be a year where, let's say, 2021, they're pretty good. 22, they dip a little bit due to just lack of experience. Then 23, they're back where they should be. I think Adaz, like I kind of – I'm still sort of out on the hire, but I could see where they're leading and what they want to do with the new offensive coordinator they brought in. There was a Joey Lynch from Wisconsin. Is that correct? Uh, Joe Budmeyer. Or Joe Budmeyer. Okay, whatever. Joe, I got part of the name right, Joe, which can get me by 60% of the time. Hey, Joe, right? Yeah, it's Joe. But they bring in the new OC and from Wisconsin and what they do to run the ball. And so we know what they're going to want to be, which means they want to invest heavily offensive line, running backs and a quarterback who is good enough. Yeah. I mean, I think if you want to call them the error bars, the error <laughs> bars are a lot wider for Colorado state than they are for Air Force and Boise state, at least right now, in my opinion. Out of these three teams we talked so far, I would say the Rams have the widest margin of difference. Definitely. So, all right. So who, if we're going alphabetical, who is next? Is it, uh, that would be New Mexico, New Mexico. All right. Oh boy. Lobos. We already talked about them getting Wilson from from no, Wisconsin. We talked about the OC, Kentucky. They won two games last year. Do they – okay, I'm not looking. Do they honestly have the longest winning streak in the Mountain West at two games? San Jose State lost a bowl game. Boise didn't play a game. Um, I think so. <laughs> I started to think about it because there weren't many bowl games. Do so they have the longest winning streak? Go go Spartans, right? Spear up. Is that what they, is that what they do? Uh, Spartan up, yeah. Spartan that's up, their hashtag, yeah. Spartan Spears, all the same. Sorry, that's we need to give respect to their hashtags. But this is a team where, oh no, we're not doing San Jose State. Sorry, New Mexico has to get something else. Apologies, I, I'm going over the place looking at two different things. But New Mexico having a year like San Jose State seems unlikely. But, oh, man, they're just a bad team. I'm trying to think of something good to say at the moment what they've done. The best they've been, Matt, is when they had Bob Davey running a weird and creative offense. Mm-hmm. But I guess what I'll say that's good about this team, like being serious here, defense is going to be good. And Gonzalez and Rocky Long there running the defense. They'll have to get talent there, but their scheme will be good enough for what they've done. But on offense, we already went through how many quarterbacks they have. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a point where – because let's just say, for example, if we're looking like next couple of years – Kyle Wilson, a one-year guy. Is he going to be Chavez in three years? They have seven quarterbacks on the roster right now. Mm-hmm. What this year, I don't know if they'll win two games this year, but their non-conference schedule is not very difficult. But from what we've seen traditionally, because remember, you remember when Rocky Long, I'm not going to say quit, but when he retired or resigned the first time, mm-hmm. he's like, I took them as far as I could go. And it was barely getting to be bowl eligibility. But I do remember when – they played Utah. They're playing BYU back in 04, 03. When they played Utah that year in 04, when Utah went to the festival and just crushed everybody, I think that game would end up being like maybe only 
I say only like a 17 point game. I'm trying to look it up if I recall really quick, but it was a reasonably close game. And New Mexico was the one of the very few teams to actually beat Urban Meyer's Utah team in 03 and 04. Utah is running through the conference. I, sh- I need to check, but that might have been the only loss Utah had in conference play in the two years under Urban Meyer. They may have lost mm-hmm. one other, but Lobos were able to get it done. So they're they're a team that's always pesky. They're always getting team. They're always getting teams best shot back in the mid 2000s. They're maybe not winning eight or nine games. Okay, it was 28 to seven, so it was a fairly easy victory. But it was seven to seven and a half first quarter, 21 seven and a half time. 20. It was not a blowout where. The defense suffocated New Mexico, but it wasn't a blowout where Utah was beating everybody scoring 50 points a game that year. Mm-hmm. So to to hold a team to 28 to seven, you know what I mean, for that yeah. year for Utah was actually pretty good when you look at what they were doing. So they've been around. The Lobos have been close, but can never get over it. And maybe Danny Gonzalez is the guy. I, I don't know. And going back to the year, that 28 points they scored was the second fewest they scored all year. So mm-hmm. give credit to them. Arizona held them to 23 points, Utah, and it was 23-6. So they actually held them reasonably well. But I don't – this team – I don't say I don't know, but I think what this team's ceiling really is might be just above bowl eligibility, and I wish it was better than that. I mean, I think what New Mexico has when you – and I don't think you even need to squint to see it – is they've got the makings of a really interesting young core – that you know, even if their even if their growth isn't linear, they're gonna have a chance to grow together. And you know, obviously, while the quarterback situation is gonna be very unsettled because Wilson's arrival, you know, and, and Chavez was a freshman last year, um, but you know, Nathaniel Jones, the running back, you know, he was their second leading rusher last year. He was a freshman too. Tavian Combs, their leading tackler, true freshman. Mm-hmm. Andrew Erickson, freshman. And so I think the challenge for New Mexico is going to be finding more guys to build around in the long run, because, you know, obviously they're no exception to that. You know, the, the thing you the discussion you had a minute ago about, you know, every team in the conference has a lot of players coming back. And, you know, especially on defense for the immediate future, a lot of their biggest contributors were guys who were taking that sixth year, you know, like like a Joey Noble or Ben Gensala. I believe both of those guys are back. Um, but also, you know, especially on defense, they lost a lot in the transfer portal too. And so that's going to be another challenge that's particular to them as well as, you know, identifying, you know, who's going to you know, pick up that slack. And I think it's to Gonzalez's credit that, you know, he's another guy who's really, you know, bolstered this team through the recruiting trail and he's committed to making this like a, a, a lasting product rather than trying to take the easy way out and, and built around Juco guys. So you can see the makings of something there and it may be that the, you know, the next couple of years are filled with some headaches, but you know, they're a team where, you know, and they, they had a discussion about this on the, the split zone duo podcast. I think it was a couple of weeks ago now about, you know, they were looking at power five teams in particular and looking at their non-conference schedule and asking why would they do this to themselves? <laughs> New Mexico does not have that problem. I mean, they've got the occasional road game. They got like go pay the bills. Like they've got you know trips to Texas A&M. They have a trip to LSU next year. They got a trip to Auburn in 2024. But I mean, other than that, you know, and then over the next few years, they've got New Mexico State always down and out more often than not. They've got a home and a home with UTEP. They've got UMass on the on the docket. And I think if they 
give themselves an opportunity to build the kind of winning culture through non-conference play, you know, if things come together and, and they they kind of hit their, you know, 70th, 80th, 90th percentile outcomes, this is the team that could surprise some folks in a couple of years. It may not be always pretty from week to week, but it's an interesting product that is going to be, you know, really fascinating for me to follow. No, it totally is. Like the non-conference slate is perfect for them. They're always going to play New Mexico State. Mm-hmm. They're always going to play an FCS team. And then it depends. They may do home and home with like a UTEP or some middling group of five. And typically they play only one, if I'm correct. Like you read off all the teams. They don't go out and play a million power fives every year. They're, mm-hmm. not, pull, they're not pulling a Texas Southern basketball where it's 15 road games until they get to league play in their conference. So they have what this does for them. If they continue, because that's a smart way to schedule. They don't need to overschedule. Like this could change next couple of years just because of how. COVID hit all the pocketbooks for everybody, but most schedules are already set out years in, in advance. And there's here's they're not doing a game where they have to pay somebody to come. They go to mm-hmm. Auburn, they go to Texas A&M, like all the teams you mentioned, UCLA, Oklahoma, Oregon State. You know they get a home and home to Oregon State. Like that's that's really good. So that's awesome. They that's about the only good Power Five team coming to town if I can tell mm-hmm. upcoming. But that's a pretty good even Oregon State. Yeah, whatever, it's okay. But there's no games where they're losing money. And what it could be is 2024. It's at Auburn, at New Mexico State. Maybe they, I don't think they'd put a third road game, but they got you, some dates to fill there. Yeah. Yeah, but what I'm saying is like they may add in, in a year or two down the road. Like look at um, I don't know, 2025. So New Mexico State game is going to be at home. I could see them adding another road Power Five team just to kind of make up for some of the books. Yeah. And maybe swap doing something like that to get it back. But right now, for what they've done the past while. My ceiling, and you're right if they do that, because Gonzalez seems like I don't, I'm hesitant to say anybody's life for any program, especially when you're at this level here. Guys leave, like Stu Merle, Utah State basketball is rare. Troy Calhoun is rare. Even Chris Peterson was rare for how long they stayed before they eventually, but they eventually left. Mm-hmm. And this is Gonzalez. Here's what has going for Lobos. Gonzalez played here. He coached here. He's with his mentor, Rocky Log. He wants to build this team up, even if he does really good. Like, he could go, like, I'm not kidding, 7-5 and five and take over for Herm Edwards in a couple years if he decides to retire because he's going to get up there in age. Mm-hmm. That could be – you made New Mexico seven wins. You're going to – you have any job you want almost. You know what I mean? Like, all these jobs out west. He could even go back to State and go to State, you know what I mean, to be the head coach there because that is a better job than Lobos. But if he builds the right way, finds a quarterback, bring in – bring like, it's going to be a lot of passion and – outworking guys and under not under recruiting but finding these guys who are who are underrated i should say for high school that blossom blight and then they again for me like it's like bowl i know they had the one off here but for me it's like getting to a bowl game might almost be the ceiling as of right now over the next couple of years yeah it's just been so bad definitely all right is it uh, utah state time that is correct i have no idea what to make utah state <laughs> because like, what are we going to say? New coach again, obviously Blake Anderson. They're a team where they were at a stretch. What New Mexico State is now, what UMass is right now, what UConn is right now, they're a stretch there. But then they, Trekkie Keaton came around, they flipped it. They were a missed field goal away from Wisconsin going to the Orange Bowl back when NIU was there. They've, mm-hmm. had, they've had the biggest spectrum of almost any team in the conference. I would like to say they're – what we see in their conference or ceiling has been being the pest, being a pest, but not being anything a contender. 
it's a long off season. <laughs> yes. But I'm I've sort of started talking myself into Utah State as a as a really strong candidate for a big rebound as soon as this year. Well, one in five is not hard to rebound and look good from. Because I, I like the Anderson hire. Mm-hmm. I like the coaches that he brought in, especially at the coordinator level. I like that they brought in a proven quarterback, mm-hmm. you know, multi-year track record with familiarity with Anderson because yeah. they were together at Arkansas State. And Justin Rice. Yeah. I like what I've heard or read so far out of what's coming out of spring ball. Like the offenses looked explosive. The defenses created a lot of takeaways in the early going. And obviously you don't want to necessarily read too much into that. But I know that I brought this up in the past that, you know, even despite kind of the, the big names coming in through the transfer portal and everything like that, that, you know, even when the team was struggling last year, you could see that they had a core of really young players like we just talked about with New Mexico that should have the opportunity to kind of grow together over the next two or three years. And so I could see a scenario where they bounce back and they become bowl eligible right away this fall. That's a pretty big jump there. I mean, I, I can see, and, and again, you know, we talked about New Mexico, but this year's schedule at Washington State, North Dakota, BYU, at New Mexico State, that's not a bad non-conference schedule. And I think if if no. things if things come together quickly, this is a team that could take a lot of people by surprise a lot faster than a lot faster than expected. And I think you know what that means is like they, the, maybe they could get back to those 2018 heights within the next two or three years. I mean, especially if you look at their, you know, like, cause BYU is probably not going to be quite at the same top 15 level that they were a year ago. No. Um, over the next few years. And, you know, other than, you know, I mean, a trip to Bama is, you know, that's yeah. an L. That's an L for anybody. <laughs> um, and, in 2022 and, it, and a trip to Iowa, that's probably going to be a really stiff test as well. I mean, other than that, same as the Lobos, Good, but there's a, there's a lot to like in that non-conference schedule, and so like if they if they if what they build comes to fruition, you know I think the ceiling for this team is a team that threatens for a conference title in the next three years. Because they've been to what one conference championship game, right? Yeah, they went in 2013, the very 2013. first one. That's right, Matt Wells there with the Poinsettia Bowl on one. It, it's a team where again there's the pendulum. We mentioned CSU. Honestly, the team with the most swing is Utah State. Yes. I'm like, as well, I think I'm caveat like at, at this moment, but like, I'm not kidding. There's times when they Brent guys head coach, they were not playing a home game until Halloween because mm-hmm. when they're in the big West or Sunbelt, I guess, or even in freaking independent for a while. And they're like, call it the wilderness. It's okay. Yeah, it is. I'm just saying, <laughs> but they were literally doing, I, I wish I had a more detailed schedule, but they were like, I mentioned the Texas Southern basketball thing. They were doing at Auburn, at Oklahoma, at Texas, just to make their budget. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Even in Sunbelt was not very cohesive because I know Sunbelt had Idaho and, and New Mexico State for a while, but it was still teams in the southeastern United States are traveling to. Like, mm-hmm. I don't recall if App State was in Sunbelt at the time, but they were going cross-country when it's expensive to fly out of Logan to get anywhere. So they've been at bad like that 1-11-year Brett Guy, 2-10. Jeez, it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Gary Anderson pulled miracles there. And so I think what the expectation – clearly the floor is not what they're doing under Brent Guy or Mike Dennehy and all that type of stuff. It's more along the lines. I want to – I don't know because 10-4, and 6-7, 3-9, 6-7, 11-2, 7-6, 1-5 is obviously weird. I honestly think where the, what they're building there – because who knows how long Blake Anderson will be here, but he's a guy where 
a slow build up to the to a better job. Like you thought Matt Wells would be a guy stick around for a while because is is a I don't want to try to think here relationship with the university. Mm. But I do like to hire. I do like what they're bringing. So this almost could be situation where you mentioned with CSU, they could be really good with guys like Rice, their quarter, experienced quarterback coming in. Defense is on the rise just state where it could be one year. Okay, quarterback's gone. Justin Rice is gone. You're kind of starting over. But I do really think where where they're at, they need to kind of limit the gap of what they've been doing the past couple of years. Mm. Like I can see them missing the bowl game occasionally. But I really do think a bowl game should be their floor at this moment because they've only – I don't count 2020. Outside of that, they were at a bowl game every year from 2019, 2011 to 2019, exception of 2016 and Matt Wells' what, fourth year before he kind of went the downturn. And that was your year where I think – oh, no, that wasn't the year. That was the year after 17 where they had like a million one-score games. I just feel like defense is still their thing. They need to be about seven to eight win team every year, then occasionally every so often, which they've proven three times since 2012, three times a decade can win double digit games. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know enough about the stock market to know this, if this is a proper analogy. Just go. With I, know, it. I know I mentioned on Game the podcast. <laughs> I mean, I know I've mentioned it on the podcast before that like there's a couple of teams that I'm buying stock in for this year, Aggies? but I think if I were to buy like futures in in any team in the mountain west i think it would probably be utah state right now why is that what's your reason why things are on the rise i know you already mentioned tons or anything else specific you want to get to or is it just type of coaching hire expectations yeah i mean like i said i think I, i'm a very big fan of the coaching staff that they put together there in logan and so i think obviously you know they were kind of shorthanded relative to most of the rest of the conference as far as like their initial recruiting efforts and so that sort of remains to be seen how how they'll be able to compete with with other teams in the conference when they have a full calendar year to deal with that. But I think, you know, with what they put together to be able to to kind of jumpstart that rebound for 2021 and, you know, with the core that they have that can that sh- that will be there for 2022 and beyond. Again, like I, I'm I'm optimistic right now on on mm-hmm. March 30th at 9:35 p.m. I hear you. I just maybe not be optimistic for this year as much as you. I could see where they should be a better team than they were last year, too. But I do think where they need to be, they've been increasing the past since the late last couple years in the WAC. So that's where I think they should be. I just think the those six and seven and three and nine years need to be improved where their bad year, like their worst year is a six and seven, losing a bowl game. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, should be their, where they're right now. And I think Aggie fans would agree, like, bowling is where they should be at every year. Yeah. And if you miss agree. it one, once every decade, it happens to ne- a lot of the schools out there. Mm-hmm. So I just think that ceiling needs to get pushed up. And I, it's still tough to tell with a new head coach, but I sort of agree with you. But I'm kind of waiting to see where I want to put me in the hold category of Utah State stock, I guess, if we're doing that scenario right now. Mm-hmm. All right, final team, Wyoming Cowboys. Are they kind of like Utah State a little bit? Overall, I'm leading, I'm leading the Wyoming bandwagon. I don't think I've tried to make a secret of that. Okay. What? Ooh. Let's give a tease now. Bandwagon. I know it's going to be hard to say no to your Fresno State Bulldogs, but uh, well, that's the that's the other one I'm leading. I know they're the they're the collision course Mountain West title game possibly. 
I mean, I think it's within the realm of possibility. I think the, you know, the trick with Wyoming is they've never had, they've never caught all the breaks that they need to make that last big step from like an eight win team to a 10 win team. And I know that we brought this up on the podcast already, but like this year's non-conference schedule is very favorable. I would contend that the next two years you know, after that, 2022-23, mostly the same. Yeah. And I think, you know, and obviously I'll, a lot will come down to health luck, especially a quarterback. Like, because I think I've seen enough from Craig Bull and his staff, especially on defense. Like, you know, their track record of development is pretty remarkable all things considered and yeah while while not having taken that last big step toward like you know consistently competing for a division title has been sort of frustrating in a lot of corners of the fan base you know he's still in the middle of the best stretch this program has seen in like 20 25 years which is you know nothing to shake a stick at and so i i see themselves being in this kind of contention window where I think over the next three years, it's sort of wide open just based off of their track record over the last couple of years, based off of past precedents. Like, I think that, you know, they've earned enough benefit of the doubt where even if they haven't had necessarily had the results of like, let's say, a San Diego State, you know, they have the ability to accomplish like San Diego State has had uh, in, in certain years where, you know, they had that three year stretch where they went, what was it, 10, 10 wins, 11 wins, 10 wins. Mm-hmm. I forget yeah. exactly what it was. 30, 31 wins. Yeah. Like there, there's a scenario where that's Wyoming's ceiling over the next three, four years. I think. I'm, I'm there with you a little bit. The last it's just, years, it's just that the stars haven't always aligned for them, which, which again, I can imagine would be very frustrating. Well, remember they beat Boise State and didn't make the title game that year. And they've, and they've, and more importantly, they've basically almost always given Boise State a run for their money, even when they haven't won. Yeah, they've been. Their thing is, it's a tough defense. They run the ball well. I think it's also like like a uh, when we talk about San Diego State for mm-hmm. at the early beginning, just kind of about their quarterback play. It's all like I know they had Josh Allen to don't get after one with fans, but he also completed like fifty five percent of his passes. Yeah, he was good. He made great plays, but he wasn't a guy when you look at like say Patrick O'Brien last year CSU or Hank Bachmeyer mm-hmm. or. Any insert quarterback here in the Mountain West that's been pretty good. When you had um, Jordan Love, I'm trying to think of all these random quarterbacks. Derek, like anybody who's been really good, 65, 70 percent. They've never had that. Maybe it's the wind. Maybe it's the weather a little bit. Throwing in Wyoming. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, they they don't do what Air Force does, let's say. But I think of them as being kind of like kindred spirits of one another. Because like <laughs> obviously, like Wyoming doesn't run the triple option. But, you know, they're very obviously a run-based or, or offense combined with what is more often than not a very stingy defense. The difference between the two, as we talked about earlier with the Falcons, is that Air Force has had their occasional breakthroughs. Like, they were a top 25 team two years ago. Yeah. Wyoming has had the pieces, I think, where, like, in under different circumstances, I think they could have been a top 25 team in some past years it just didn't all come together for them but i think you know given the opponents that they have on their non-conference slate given where they're at in kind of their recruiting and development cycle that you know yeah are they where they want to be probably not but they're in a much more stable position than a lot of other teams in the conference which i think is is not something that should be overlooked and i think that that 
you know, even if they aren't on that kind of, you know, lofty, you know, stratosphere that we talked about with Boise State, where, you know, the Broncos are up there cruising at 35,000 feet, you know, their their 10 wins may feel vaguely disappointing. And, and in that way, they might be similar to Wyoming, where, yeah, six or seven wins may not be all that satisfying five, six years in the Craig Bull experience. But I, I think it's right there for the taking. And I think that's that would be kind of my best way of describing their ceiling for the immediate future. So what do they need you to take take that to achieve? Because I'm with you. Their defense is always great. Like they have Xavier and Valade. Quarterback is an issue this year just to figure out Sean Chambers or Levi Williams. The receiving group is young. Hopefully they got, even though there's only six games, they gained some experience. Better what health is it? and a better passing game. Okay. Helpful. I think those I think those are the two big things for them. I kind of agree. So should they be passing more? Because that's it. We talked with Michael Katz a while back about the offense could be because they have a new OC as well in town. What do you ex- I expect more of the he mentioned, I believe, like more of a balanced attack. But is it just more efficiency throwing the ball? Because that's what I think kind of is because the w- completion percentage you can throw 10 times, but try to go six of 10. It's like 150 yards at least. I mean, if you're going to go, go the Air Force route, you don't even need to get to 60 percent. You need to get to like 55 and have a high yards per catch or yards per attempt. Exactly. No, I agree. Yeah, I'm with you. If you're going to throw a lot, you want to get about 60. Because, you know, know. In, in Wyoming, like, you know, a guy like Tanner Gentry begets someone like Isaiah Naylor or Nair, excuse me, where, you know, obviously the raw numbers don't necessarily stand out among the league leaders. But, you know, they've, they've had that element kind of right there in their fingertips, you know, or a guy like Aiden Everhart, who only had 16 catches last year, but averaged over 15 yards a catch. Like even if they could just they can get just a little more of that, that can make all the difference for them in that offense and and ultimately that team's fortunes. So if you're looking at like their ceiling, you think it's double digit wins and going to the conference title game over the next five years? Yes. Oh yeah, over the next three years. Oh three years, okay. That'll be their first ten win season since '96. Yeah, like I said, like if we're talking <laughs> in terms of competitive windows, I think it I think it has been open for them. And unless something goes wrong, I think it should continue to remain open for them for the immediate future, because I think that's that's the position to to Craig Bowles credit that he's really put them in. Like he's it's 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 vaguely disappointing, but it has also been much more successful than a lot of his predecessors. And I think that, you know, having that stable ground means that, you know, with enough breaks, you know, you know, they saw it already with the, the Josh Allen division title back in 2016 you know, they could have another iteration of that pretty easily, I think, where everything breaks right and they claim a division title. But they could also, you know, take catch a few more breaks, get to 10 wins and remove all doubt that they're the best team in that division. Because looking ever since they beat Boise State in 2016 by two points, every game outside of the 2018-34-14 has been within 10 points or less. Yeah. So outside of the one outlier where it was a road blowout loss for Wyoming – They've been close, but it also seems like when you look at Wyoming's schedule and who they play, there's always like, I don't know if it's, again, the passing game not being there, somebody shuts down, but they always have a weird loss. I'm like, they lost to Colorado State like recently. Like last year, they lost to Colorado State by 10. Mm-hmm. They, they're they losing to like well, Utah State, like Air Force 20 to 6. 
They lost a weird game to Tulsa in 2019. You go back to 2018, lose wasn't a great year, but they're losing to getting blown out by Fresno State. They're getting blown out. They're losing to Hawaii in a low-scoring game when they like Tyler Vanderwall as quarterback for a while. Mm-hmm. Like if you go to 2017, they're still losing to. Okay, I don't care about Oregon, but like Fresno State, San Jose State to end the year when I don't think I don't know what Fresno was that year. They're seven and five. Like they're seven and three midway through November. Lose to Fresno, which I don't know if they were that year, honestly. They lose to San Jose State, which we know wasn't very good that year. And so that was a good year for Fresno State, actually. I was just double-checking. But my point being, they have just these not random losses, but losses are like, what are you doing? Like Eastern Michigan. I remember that game. That was a game where people rushed the field like protesting in 2016. The mm-hmm. triple overtime loss to was UNLV, 69-66. That was like, yeah, that's even the Josh Allen years. They lost a freaking New Mexico when you have Josh Allen. You lose to New Mexico 56-35. Brian Hill, Josh Allen, Tanner Gentry, and you lose to New Mexico? Like, that shouldn't, those guys are all in the NFL. What's going on? That's the problem. I, I remain steadfast in my enthusiasm. You're not wrong. I'm just I'm just pointing out. I don't, I'm more in line with you. I just think, again, I'm almost like a prove-it-to-me where there's always a game or two where it just kind of baffles the head. They beat Purdue. I mean, like, was it that who they beat where Sean Chambers stiff-armed the, uh, and Brandon Dalton? That was Talton. Missouri. Missouri and Talton became a national treasure, kicking field goals from like 68 million yards away. Uh, I want to see more of that. And I just think for me it's the consistency. Bulls have been there long enough. Could this be the year? I don't know. But I'm trending because their ceiling has been to – like it's they have talent. Josh Allen, top pick. NFL guys, Tanner Drenchy, Brian Hill, that I mentioned, they have other guys in NFL. They have Logan Wilson's on the Bengals right now, right? He's on the Bengals, is that correct? Mm-hmm. I was trying to make sure. But guys are getting drafted in the league. Do it. Show me. I want them to see it. They're a team where I'm high on them, but I'm also hesitant. That's where I'm at where right now, for I'm going to say my ceiling next couple of years, would be getting to a conference championship game, but nothing more right now. I'm holding that as their – highest they could be in by in three years okay do you think they can win a conference title in three years yes Ooh. okay well well on that note that's a good way to end it we're gonna break this in half because we're not talking for five hours here <laughs> we'll do a uh a west division this also you know this doesn't matter it gives us a way to spread out the off season you know what i mean that's true we don't have to waste everything here now so we'll be back next week at some point mwr.com all of our stuff we're gonna start writing some Early previews, some spring stuff. We'll get a few different type of articles here and there. We are probably – when do we start our top 50 countdown? We start tabulating in May? Uh, no, not until like oh. June or <laughs> okay. July. Okay, you're like, wait a minute. Oh, that's pretty early. So, we, okay, maybe it goes to our staff sometime in May. But we have stuff upcoming. But we'll be back next time. Go over the West Division, same type of deal, ceiling, floor, all that type of stuff, whatever news comes up. But yeah, until then, we'll see you uh, next week. And, yeah, subscribe, listen, and – 